As physicians, we often collaborate with other doctors when caring for patients with various medical problems. Yet disagreements with our colleagues may occur more frequently than we would like to admit, and there can be consequences to disagreements between physicians. How can we best deal with these differences in medical opinion while keeping in mind our common goal of providing the best care possible for our patients? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Rahul Parikh, a pediatrician in Walnut Creek, California. He also writes the Vital Signs Medical Column on Salon.com. Welcome, Dr. Parikh. Hi, thank you very much. Now, can you start with an example of what types of situations might create a physician disagreement about some aspect of patient care? Sure. Three or four aspects come to mind. The, the first is just what is the history that you're getting from your patient? If a patient emphasizes or remembers one thing in one encounter versus the other, we just have completely different paths of thinking and make your differential diagnosis different and your leading diagnosis different. And therefore, of course, your workup different. The second thing, of course, is how we interpret test results. And I mentioned a, a study in the article about EKGs and how they were interpreted very differently by emergency room physicians. And those EKGs were assessed by the researchers looking for signs of MIs. Turns out there was a great deal of variation looking for subtle signs of MIs. And of course, that changes your management drastically. And the authors of that study brought up a good deal of concern about that, those discrepancies. And of course, finally, there's just personality differences between physicians as well. You know, in this day and age when we have lots of financial pressures, do you find that there are any economic concerns with some people either trying to increase costs and revenue with balance with those trying to decrease costs? Yeah, and I mentioned an ethics piece that had come out in Canadian Medical Journal in my article about this, where a patient was admitted to the hospital with pyelonephritis after 24 to 48 hours on IV antibiotics. The patient got better, but still had some signs of vomiting and some fevers. The resident felt that the patient was stable for discharge, the attending wanted to keep the patient in longer. And again, that had to do with the pressure of bed space and hospitalization costs and sort of the uh, pressure for, or at least the incentive or pressure, depending on how you look at it, for inpatient doctors to discharge patients in a certain period of time and as fast as possible to clear bed space. So those kind of economic incentives or disincentives and pressures really play are playing an increasing role in clinical judgments. And we don't have a choice but to try and address those. Now, you bring up an important point, and that's one of possible hierarchy, as you might see in an academic institution. You're talking about resident versus attending, for example. Might it be different, let's say, in the military or in private practice? Do you feel that being a doctor is is very democratic, where your voice has an equal weight no matter what? It's a complicated question, but I'll tell you, if you look at the literature on disagreements between physicians, and I wasn't able to find an incredible amount of, of material. What I did find, a lot of it came out of the surgical literature. And, of course, surgery, professional surgery tends to have, a, of all the professions, in my view, the, the highest and most rigid hierarchy between different levels of medical professionals, from students to residents to chief residents and to, of course, the attendant surgeon. A lot of the issues of disagreements and what's documented comes up in those situations. When is it appropriate or what should an attending do if a resident questions their surgical judgment or their clinical judgment? And ethics questions come up in those things. Do I feel that medicine is democratic? Well, I think that as safety has become more of a concern in hospitals and in the medical profession, there's been definitely a move for increasing transparency and allowing members of teams to speak out. So, of course, again, we go back to surgery and how 
many procedure, surgery and other procedure-based teams take timeouts in the operating room or in the procedure room that will be called by anybody on the team, a nurse, a scrub tech, anyone, to review all the data and what's happening. So who is the patient? What are they here for? Which limb or part of the body is being operated on to make sure that everything is done properly? And so those kind of things have improved democracy in medicine, but I still think we have a long way to go. And I think particularly between doctors themselves or among doctors themselves and doctors and students and, and residents. What about interactions between different specialties, such as if a surgeon has a disagreement with a non-surgeon? Is that different from disagreements within your own specialty? You know, I think that the example that I drew on, and I think the example that most of my colleagues experience often has to do with either differences between specialists or differences between specialists who are doing different things. So, for example, a hospital physician and an uh, outpatient clinic physician in terms of whether to admit a patient, those... I think are, are really where we see the most disagreements. And it almost seems to me that who ends up being, you might say, who ends up being right ends up being maybe in many cases the last person to see the patient. And that often is, say, the specialist or the hospitalist. That's just my personal experience. I think what's interesting to me is that in that disagreement, oftentimes the patient can be very unaware of it. And in my example, in my article where I talked about a disagreement with a surgeon, about a patient with potential osteomyelitis or septic arthritis. The patient had no idea about our disagreement through and through the case. I didn't mention that in the article, but I was in retrospect, it really amazed me that it's hidden from the patient. And I think that maybe that may not be the best way to go. It might be better to go as telling the patient we have an honest disagreement and we're going to work the best to solve it. So what might the patient's role be if they are aware of a disagreement between physicians? I think the patient just needs to be aware of it and be part of making a medical decision. You know, patients are, we care for patients, and I think we need to just make sure that they're aware of disagreements so that they can, they can know and help, help, us, help guide us because a patient's values and principles have a lot to do with the decisions we make for them, and we shouldn't take that out of the equation. They should be a part, part of, the, of the care team. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu. Our guest is Dr. Rahul Parikh, practicing pediatrician and writer of the Vital Signs Medical Column on Salon.com. We're discussing how to deal with disagreements between physicians. Do you have any idea how often disagreements between physicians occur, even anecdotally? I think that all of us who practice will always have these experiences probably several times a week whether it's between colleagues. And sometimes it's not really spoken of. Sometimes you just notice that if a patient comes in twice and sees two different physicians, for example, there may be a difference of opinion in diagnosis or management, management choices, which fall probably within the range of normal in terms of different ways to do things and different ways to approach a patient. Egregious disagreements or disagreements you know, that are 180 degrees apart from each other, I'm not sure how often they occur. Do you think most physicians will confront the physician that they're having a disagreement with, or do you find that a lot of these situations are kind of swept under the rug because maybe we're trying to appear as if we're in control? Yeah, and, you know, the tradition, if you look back at some of the oldest medical literature, you know, dating back to, you know, the early 19th century even, is that we were told, and at that time, you know, physicians were told not to really criticize one another publicly or to reduce the sense of competition and to keep a sense of, essentially, to imply that we were in control. And I think that doctors really run up against that. We are viewed by a lot of people as, as being, we are experts in what we do, but we're viewed by 
a lot of people as being infallible as, as a result of that expertise. And I think all of us know that's not true. That may be less true than it was, say, two, two generations ago in, between doctors and patients. But there's still that expectation, I think, among doctors that they keep disagreements to themselves and not really air it publicly, which I think, again, is going to get in the way of patient communication and making the patient part of the healthcare decision. What types of consequences have you seen as a result of disagreements between physicians? I mean, the main consequence is that patients are unaware of differences. It often leads to backdoor conflicts between physicians and pressures among them. But, of course, the ultimate consequence is that the patient doesn't get the best care possible because if these disagreements are swept under the rug, they're not allowed to help be part of the decision-making process and instead essentially left in the dark, leaving the potential for these kind of decisions to be made against their values and what they really want for themselves or their loved ones. Can you think of an example of when a disagreement between physicians that wasn't brought up to the patient has adversely affected patient care? Well, I I don't know if you want to say my example adversely affected patient care. I think what happened in my case was that the diagnosis may have been delayed by just a, a couple of days, which in the end, in retrospect, didn't make a difference because the patient got the care that they needed. And, you know, the the physician and I spoke about that later, and we both, you know, agreed that we would continue to work together better in the future. So you're saying also that it might be a learning process for physicians when we deal with with disagreements with others? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the great things about being a physician is we always learn, right? We learn from our patients, we learn from the literature, we learn from our own experience. But then we also learn from each other. And looking back on my experience, I think what I realized was making sure that I was as assertive as I could be in the initial encounter with the patient and with the, with the specialist who I dealt with, and making sure that my communication with that, with that specialist was more prompt and clear as possible. And some of that had to do with timing and the chaos of the office you know, practice that gets in the way of being able to track patients as closely as you want to. But this is a, whenever I write about my experiences, I learn a lot, and I think I learned a tremendous amount from this, from this experience. Do you think that some physicians who have very different opinions or philosophies from other colleagues should just stay away from each other and avoid each other if at all possible? I think it's better not to avoid and actually to have these discussions. Again, I'm, I'm in favor of transparency and an open discussion and sharing information. If you're talking about extreme practices, well, that, that also becomes then an issue of standard of practice and patient safety. But I wouldn't encourage us to make each other pariahs in that way. I would rather encourage us to make us colleagues who, who, although we have differences of opinions, we really just continue to debate those differences. Because one day it could be the other way when we have enough evidence that there's, you know, that the person who we're deeming as an outlier is right. And, and I think it's better just to keep the discussion going. Evident, medical evidence constantly changes, and we may all be surprised one day as to what, what we're doing. There's been a lot of talk lately about physician burnout. How do you think disagreements with our colleagues might impact our burnout levels? It's a really good question. I actually wrote an article about that in Salon a few months ago about my own experience being burnt out a little bit and, and being tired. I think that conflict, if you, I think psychologically, you know, people who internalize conflict and internalize these kinds of disagreements are probably more likely to get burnt out because of the emotional stress it takes on them. So again, I think open discussions, either formally or informally between colleagues, is the best way to, to resolve these sorts of issues. And really, for me, my experience only increased my collegiality with, special, with the specialist I was involved with and, and others who handled the case. And I think that, that's an important lesson, because if, if you work through disagreements in a constructive way, you're more likely to end up as partners instead of adversaries. 
You know, in all professions of life, there can certainly be disagreements, but it seems that in medicine, we have, you know, definitely less room for error because of the nature of our of our work and our patients. Do you think this adds an extra level of stress when it comes to physicians who disagree with one another? Yeah, I mean, the stakes are very high, and the stakes are high in a lot of places. The stakes can be high in your personal life as well, but, you know, given what we're dealing with and, some, and given often the, the, the liability pressures that we increasingly face, you know, with high malpractice claims and, and lawsuits and things like that, we certainly have to be more aware of our disagreements. And I think for that reason, a lot more clear-cut with both ourselves, our colleagues, and our patients about those disagreements, not to penalize anyone, but just to document that that this hap- these things happen. And I think if we do, I think it'll end up being a little more, probably better for all of us. You mentioned that sometimes when there are disagreements with, between physicians, that the patient may play a role in the decision-making process. Is it fair to expect that a patient who doesn't have the clinical training and background can make sound medical decisions about their health? That's a really good question. And, you know, it actually, in its complexity, it relates to what's, what I think a lot of us call health illiteracy, is how much does a patient understand about their health? And what is a doctor's responsibility to explain it? And, you know, I think some patients will want to have a more active role in, those, in that process. So, for example, if you have a patient who is fairly educated, they may want to know, and, and not in clinical terms, but in as clear as English as possible, what's going on, and to be able to say yes or no, or I want that, I, want, I don't want that, and ask questions. Others may say, I'm not sure, what do you think is best? And then it, it really does, you're right, it comes down to the physician sort of sorting it out and coming to a, a conclusion. Couldn't the practice of obtaining a second or even a third opinion confuse the issue even more because it brings more a more complicated discussion into play? It's the old more information ends up being sometimes more complicated and too many cooks get in the kitchen. You know, I think patients have the right to an opinion, you know, as many opinions as they, as they wish for. And I encourage my patients personally to get second opinions if they wish them, either from, either from another pediatrician at my level or from another specialist if they're seeing a specialist. It gets complicated really in terms, I think it's more complicated for the patient in many ways because they may get different opinions. But then again, as a primary care physician, it in many ways becomes our job to help guide the patient as assuming we have the best relationship and know them best in terms of helping them to learn the risks and benefits or at least sift through those risks and benefits. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Rahul Parikh. We've been discussing disagreements between physicians and how we can resolve these issues when they arise. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.